Welcome to the Wednesday Bible Study. We've made our way back uh, to the Broadcast Plaza and Teleport in the actual studio. Uh, and uh, we still do not have anyone in the studio with us. Still praying that that will happen sooner than later. Uh, but we are thankful that you're here either watching us on the YouTube channel or you're listening to us uh, on our podcast channel. Uh, whatever the case may be, we continue our study in 1 Peter. Today we will begin in chapter 3. If you want to get your Bible or something uh, with your Bible on it ready to follow along, take some notes hopefully. Uh, if you're writing and listening, uh, go back and listen to this at a chance where you can write some of this down. Uh, the, the manchurch.com, obviously it is up and running. Uh, the la as I was getting ready to do this, uh, this Bible study, we're at our 75th church. Uh, that is now in, uh, implementing the discipleship strategy from themanchurch.com. If you're watching this or listening to it on September the 30th, then tonight I'll be in Douglas, Georgia. They're going to implement this. Uh, I'll be uh, uh, kicking off their first man church service coming up tonight. They're doing the entire 40-week curriculum uh, and uh, excited about that tonight. Uh, coming up on Sunday, I'll be traveling to Avon, Indiana. I'll be with Harmony Baptist Church. Men are gathering for their first man church, and they're going to implement uh, the 40-week curriculum. So excited about that. You can find out everything you could possibly ever want to know about our discipleship strategy by going to themanchurch.com. Uh, if you don't have a plan uh, for reaching and discipling men in your church and in your community uh, coming up for 2021, now's the time you need to start planning that out. We can help you any way that we possibly can, and we'd love to do that. Disciple men, you change everything. Uh, let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for uh, us once again looking at your standard, your standard of everything. That's all that matters. The world's standard doesn't matter. Our standard doesn't matter. What is your standard? And today, Lord, we talk about something that you, uh, you hold very dear, and that is marriage. Help us, Lord, to unpack this in the way that you intend. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So let, let's jump off the themes that I was just talking about. Uh, we know that when we, we left uh, in chapter 2, uh, we, we saw this theme of Christian submission. Uh, and, and we talked about what it, what it meant to submit to the, the government authorities, what it meant to submit uh, to your boss. Uh, and, and Peter was writing this you know, to, to servants uh, or employees because it wasn't the, the word doulos. These were probably indentured servants or people who work in, in the homes of other people. Uh, he was writing to the reader, the, those of us who are actually reading, about our subjection uh, to the world governments. And, and we talked about you know, when we submit, when we don't. Uh, all that was covered with this theme of Christian submission. And I don't want you to be afraid of that theme uh, because it's God's, it's God's standard. It's God's desire. So Christian submission will now be applied to the marriage relationship as we step into this. Now, this is one of those topics that the world just screams and, and, and loses their mind over God's standard of Christian marriage. Now, there's a reason that that happens. Uh, the reason why marriage is, is, gets so much attack from the adversary, uh, from the world, uh, sometimes from our flesh, our fallen flesh, is because God deems it as sacred. He deems it as holy. Uh, God loves marriage, so ev everything that is anti-God hates marriage. Uh, and, and what we need to understand is the way the world says to do anything is incorrect. Uh, God's standard is clear. And uh, you know, if, if you're familiar with um, 
you know, this concept, and I've heard it talked about uh, by, by various teachers, and they're right. If you really want to know how God feels about any topic, always find in Scripture the first time uh, that he ever talked about it. Uh, and then everything else through Scripture kind of flows from that foundation. But if you want to get its purest, uh, uh, you know, the, the purest example of how God intends anything to be handled, look for the first time in Scripture it's ever mentioned. And we know that marriage goes all the way back to creation. Uh, this is what God has deemed the most intimate and restricted human relationship. If you have your Bible or something with your Bible on it, I'd, I'd love for you to go with me to Hebrews. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 13. Now, you've heard me mention this before, but it ties so clearly to today's study. We must mention it again. Uh, listen to what the writer of Hebrews says God has to say about uh, the value he deems uh, on marriage. Let marriage, this is in uh, Hebrews 13, chapter 4. I mean, <laughs> chapter 13, verse 4. Forgive me, I'm sorry. Uh, let marriage be held in honor among all, not some. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the, sexual, the sexually immoral and the adulterous. So, first of all, God deems this to be the most intimate and restricted human relationship. Uh, let marriage be held in honor among all. So when, when God says that he will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous, and he says, let the marriage bed be undefiled, what does he mean by that? What are some examples? Now, I want you to, if you're, if you're driving and listening to this, you, you, you can come back. Uh, and, and write these down because, again, I think we should have, we should educate ourselves as much as we possibly can on everything that God says. And if you plan on being married or you are currently married or you messed up uh, on marriage, let's get it right before you do it, while you're in it, or if you messed it up and you may get another shot at it because you've been redeemed. So, first of all, one of the things that God says comes against marriage is fornication. Fornication, you find this uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18. Forni what is fornication? Fornication is sex outside of marriage. Uh, it means whether you're married or not married, if you're being intimate with someone and you're not married to them uh, and you haven't been married yet, that's fornication. Adultery is when you do that, and we'll get to that. You know, while you're married, you go outside the marriage. But if you have given yourself up, you've, you've defiled your sexual purity, and you say, well, Rick, how does that def defile the marriage bed? Well, I'll tell you how it defiles it, because now you'll go into the marriage bed and you won't be pure. Now, the beautiful thing for those of us that did not do it God's way, if we are redeemed and we repent and we are now brought uh, into a place of being fully righteous before uh, God the Father, because of the fully righteousness of God the Son, uh, then you do go into a marriage undefiled. Okay, But this is talking about if, if this has happened, then it is sin, and it needs to be redeemed. Now, when it is redeemed, thank you, Lord Jesus, then it's done. I mean, you, you can go back into the proper standing with God in the proper standing of marriage. So one of the things that comes against the marriage bed and, and against marriage is fornication. The next one is mentioned specifically, and that's adultery. Uh, you find all kinds of verses in the Bible that says God hates adultery. 
Uh, as a matter of fact, this, this insult to a marriage is so severe, so severe, that we see Jesus himself on the sermon, uh, in the Sermon on the Mount and in other places talking about sometimes a marriage cannot survive the insult of, of, of a person in that marriage being unfaithful. When the sexual purity and intimacy between husband and wife is violated, it is so severe, sometimes the marriage cannot survive it. However, that doesn't mean it can't survive it. It means it's just that it's difficult. Now, when, when the two people uh, you know, say, whoever the, 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 the offender says, I repent, I shouldn't have done that, and the offended uh, spouse says, I forgive you, let's reconcile, God can repair that. I know many examples of that. Praise the Lord for that. But sometimes it can be uh, insurmountable inside a marriage. So, so, it is so severe that if a person remains unrepentant about it, Jesus allows the offended spouse to leave the marriage and that not even be sin. But anyway, let's look at it. Uh, Deuteronomy 22.22, write these down. Uh, Deuteronomy 22.22, Leviticus 20.10, Matthew, what I'm just talking about, God talking about it. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus covers this in verses 28 and in verses 32. Matthew 5, 28 and verse 32. Galatians 5.19 talks about this. And then again, because this is a whole list, in 1 Corinthians 6, uh, the part about adultery is actually in verse 9. Fornication is in verse 18. Adultery is in verse 9 in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. What's another way for the marriage bed to be defiled? What's another way for marriage to be defiled? Homosexuality. Uh, this is taking God's standard of marriage and saying we reject it uh, and, uh, and we will invent our own version of marriage. Uh, homosexuality is not an unforgivable sin. It doesn't require extra grace or Jesus to go to the cross for a second time, but it's also not a special sin that gets a pass. Uh, and this is talked about quite clearly uh, in the Old Testament and Leviticus uh, 2013. For those of you that act like if it's said in the Old Testament, somehow that doesn't count, uh, then you can find it in the, in the New Testament. Back to 1 Corinthians again, uh, into chapter 6. It's listed right there in verse 9, along with adultery. Uh, 1 Timothy, Paul covers this in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9. Uh, Jude talks about it in Jude chapter 1, verse 7. And, of course, it's also talked about in Romans uh, chapter 1, and I didn't write down the exact verse, but if you read Romans chapter 1, you'll find it there as well. So these are ways to defile a God's most uh, intimate uh, human relationship. That's marriage and the most restricted relationship, meaning no one comes against this relationship. Uh, you can defile the marriage bed through fornication, adultery, homosexuality. The next one, prostitution. Uh, if, if, if someone brings a prostitute into the marriage um, uh, relationship, you have defiled it. Hosea talks about this in chapter 4, verse 15. Jeremiah talks about this in Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 8. Judges talks about this, chapter 8, verse 33. 1 Corinthians again, chapter 6, uh, verses 15 and 16. Ephesians uh, chapter 5, verse 3. Um, talking about, when I, when I tell you about 1 Corinthians 6 and Ephesians 5, that part's a little bit different. It does tie to it, but the reason why it's tied to it is these verses I just mentioned, uh, chapter 6 of 1 Corinthians and Ephesians 5, uh, 15 and 16 in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 3 in Ephesians 5, 
this talks about the sacredness of the marriage bed. So it's coming from a different angle, but, but it's still talking about this same sacredness. Another way for the marriage bed to be defiled, pornography. Pornography. Um, Jesus talks about this in Matthew 5, verse 28. If you have committed uh, impure sexual acts with another in your heart, uh, if you lust for another, uh, then you are committing adultery. It is sexual sin. And sadly, there have been people that have been put in places of leadership in the household, which we'll talk about today, who are husbands that have defiled the marriage bed and have uh, blasphemed God by the treatment of their wives by bringing pornography into the marriage. Uh, these are all things that should not be in this relationship and would violate God's standard. None of them are unforgivable, but they all are sin, and they do violate God's most sacred relationship, and that is a man and a woman under his authority in marriage. So now we move into what, uh, what, what First uh, Peter chapter 3 is going to talk about inside this sacred relationship, and this is Christian submission inside the marriage. I want you to understand, because as human beings, Rick Burgess included, we reject the idea of submission. We don't like it. Uh, we want to submit to ourselves. And a lot of times uh, the, the world comes against God talking about this, this equal submission of husband to wife and wife to husband, but then setting up a hierarchy inside the house, which we're going to talk about in great detail today, uh, and they somehow try to cast that as a negative uh, but if God says this is the way it is to be done, there's nothing negative about it at all, and it's sinful to think otherwise. Christian submission, listen to this. This is beautiful. Uh, I, I got this uh, looking at one of the commentaries um, that while, while setting it up this week. Christian submission is one of the most fundamental aspects of the Christian life. Let me say that again. Christian submission is one of the most important, the fundamental principle of the Christian life to get it right. I know when I was a cultural Christian and when I got off course and I was claiming you know, to, to be a follower of Christ while living as if I wasn't, the thing that God convicted me of is I had not submitted to his lordship. I, I didn't submit to his authority. I, I only uh, you know, followed my own authority on whatever I wanted to do. That's, that's not Christianity. That's not uh, redemption. That's not justification. It's certainly not sanctification. So Christian submission is something to be embraced, not rejected. So let's, let's look at what Peter is saying about this uh, in marriage. He's going to address the duties of the husband and the wife. Now, this is important. Don't miss this. The duties, not the rights, of the husband and wife. See, sometimes I think we come at this going, well, I want to talk about my rights. We're not talking about your rights. We're talking about your duty as husband and wife. Remember, each partner, husband and wife, they are equal, completely equal. Don't, we will not allow anything that talks about one of these people, husband or wife, being inferior to the other. That's not what the Bible talks about. The Bible says equal in value, co-heirs with Christ if the two are redeemed, okay? However, they have different duties, and that's where we, that's where we mess it up. Now, we mess it up sometimes by saying, well, because I have this duty, then you're inferior to me. Incorrect. That's wrong. What's also incorrect is to say we don't have unique duties. We're interchangeable. 
I can do the husband's duty, and the husband says, well, I can do the wife's duty. It's not what God said. Men and women are equal, but they are not the same, nor do they have the same duties. They don't. It's not how God designed marriage, and we're going to talk about this. And you can find parallels to this, uh, and you can write these down because you, you can look over some of these, and we may do that if time allows. But some parallels today, and one of them you're probably pretty familiar with, when Paul talks about marriage uh, in Ephesians chapter 5, uh, verses 22 through 23. Colossians talks about this, another letter from Paul, in chapter 3, uh, and that is 18 and 19. And then Titus, uh, we talk about this in that letter as well, chapter 2, 4, and 5. Uh, and also you can find it in chapter 3 uh, of what we're about to talk about here in First Peter. So let's go to First Peter uh, chapter 3. Likewise, wives... Be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives, verse 2, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Uh-oh. The minute you start talking about wives submitting to their husbands or being subject to their husbands, I mean, immediately the world has a meltdown. Of course, if you go to that Ephesians chapter 5, and we'll get to this again today, before you, before you lose it, okay, if, if, you have, if you have a rejection of God's design of marriage, before you come unglued, always wait, okay, wives, women, always wait until you hear what the Scripture says to the man, to the husband. Just wait, and then you can uh, argue with God all you want to, but get... But get but get the entire picture about this, okay? There's going to be more space devoted uh, in Peter uh, to Christian wives, and here's, there's, here's the reason why. There's a reason for this. Because he's speaking to, the, to you know, what he calls Babylon. That's, that's the Roman Empire. And, and many of these Christian wives that Peter is writing to, many of them had husbands who were indifferent or completely opposed to Christianity, Okay? In Roman society, the social status of the wife in these providences was greatly stressed if they chose to embrace a different religion than the pagan religions of the, of, of the Romans. I mean, if you decided to do that, uh, then that was going to, that, that, your, 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 uh, your social status was going to change tremendously, and there was going to be stress put on the marriage if your husband did not feel the same way. Now, I, I, the, the submission of the wives, um, you know, is, is, uh, is, what, is what he's talking about right now, and later he's going to talk about husbands. But, but let, me, let, me, let me be clear, because as we move from the submission to authority last week, including government officials and servants submitting to bosses and, and to masters, be careful here, because I don't want anybody to get the wrong idea. Yes, this is still Christian submission, but it's not the same thing. A lot of times people misinterpret this and say, well, if Peter was talking about servants, uh, then that means that a wife is a servant. That's not what that means. Uh, the, the Greek is not saying that at all. It does not mean that the submission of the wife to the husband is the same as a servant submitting to their masters because due to the opening adverb in Greek, when you look at the opening adverb in Greek, likewise, why, what he's talking about there, it, 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 does, it does not indicate uh, that this submission is the same as what we've heard before. Now, what it does mean, what it does mean is this submission is just as sacred. Now, it doesn't mean that. 
but it does not mean that wives are the same. They should have the same standing in a home that a servant would have in this time. That's not what it means at all. It's just saying likewise, meaning the adverb in Greek doesn't mean same thing uh, as before. It means just as sacred is the submission of the wife to the husband. So let's be sure that we understand that. Now, the reason why we also know that is the wife's submission to her husband is assumed. Where? Remember I talked to you before? Let's go to the book of Genesis. Uh, Let's go to Genesis chapter 2. Because remember what I said, if you ever want to know the purest form of how God feels about anything, uh, all you have to do uh, is to to go to Genesis chapter 2 and Genesis chapter 3 um, not not to verse three, but chapter two and chapter three, and you will see uh, that uh, that God is laying out this this hierarchy in the duties of the husband and the wife from the very beginning. Listen to this: the Lord God, chapter fifteen of verse two, uh, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden because we know he breathed life in, into the clay and and he he had made man in his own and in, in, in our own image. Talking about the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Uh, look up at, at chapter 7 and verse 2. Then the Lord God formed the man out of the dust of the ground, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted the garden, and we talked about all this. And then there's the tree of life was in the midst of the garden, uh, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And, uh, and so uh, you'll, you'll see that after he establishes all this, he's going to go back and tell Adam, not Eve, uh, what they can and cannot do. Uh, so the Lord God took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden uh, to work it and keep it, and the, and the Lord God commanded the man, see, Eve's not even here yet, commanded the man, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Why is that? What he's saying is, I'm going to give you an option, and I just heard Tony Evans preaching about this on kingdom voting with the election coming up, he said, if you look right here, God's establishing the way he wants government to go. Now he is the benevolent dictator, and he's saying to the man, here's the garden, go uh, to and fro as you please, but I'm giving you maximum liberty and maximum freedom with some boundaries. And the boundary is, I don't want you to eat from the tree in the midst of the garden, which has the knowledge of good and evil, meaning you have a decision to make. Are you going to abide in me and in my relationship with you, or do you want to go over and get that tree so you can have an opportunity to rebel against me? Meaning you'll have the knowledge then of of wisdom of your own as opposed to just saying, I submit to your wisdom. And uh, it was put in the midst of the garden. Now they could go anywhere they wanted to go, maximum freedom, maximum liberty, but with boundaries. But all this was said to Adam. Remember, this was never said to Eve. Who was supposed to tell Eve? Adam. And that's why Adam is also held accountable for what Eve does. The Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. And then we know that he goes on to create woman. And God's standard of how this is set up has never changed. And then when when God comes back um, after there's the fall, we see that Adam failed in his duty uh, Eve's duty was to be Adam's perfect helper, equal, but different duties. Adam's duty was to be the head of the wife uh, and, to, and, and to make sure she was bathed in the Word of God. And it says in, uh, uh, in verse 6 of chapter 3 at the fall that Eve, she took of its fruit and she ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her. 
and he ate. So he stood there and didn't do his job. He did not fulfill his duty. Eve, in all fairness, did not fulfill her duty because she's not being a good helper to her husband. She shouldn't have been in this situation. But he should have come in and, and tried to uh, protect her from this temptation, and he didn't. And then uh, in verse 8, after the fall, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees in the garden. But the Lord God called to the man. He doesn't call to Eve. He calls to the man and said, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And then he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And then, this always makes me emotional every time I see this, because marriage was perfect. It was perfect. And when Adam was given the gift of the perfect helper of Eve, which God goes on record that the perfect helper for man is woman, and he's never changed his mind, that, that's never changed from here on throughout the entire Bible. But he said, behold, bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, and he's excited, and he celebrates this gift that's been given to him by God, and she is wonderful, and she will make me better. She will make me whole. It is not good that I'm alone. You said it yourself, God. And now that sin has entered the garden, after Adam fails in his leadership, he then looks to the very woman that was his perfect helper that he had just celebrated, and now he blames her. And we have been doing that ever since. The woman you gave me, she gave me the fruit of the tree. Thus the fall. So that's how God feels about marriage from the very beginning. And marriage had to be redeemed like everything else. And who redeems marriage? Jesus. Just like he redeems everything else. So that's, um, that, that's God's standard, and it has been. It's also God's standard in the New Testament uh, of the headship of the man and, uh, and, and the role of the woman, equal in value, different duties. Look at 1 Timothy uh, chapter 2, and then read verses 9 through 15, and you'll see that there's a matter of administration, um, and this is not commentary or inferiority. That's not what it's about. It's administration. It, it's, 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 it's headship. It's, it's design. It's order. This is not a comment. Even when you see Paul in, in 1 Timothy 2, 9 through 15, you're going to see him talking about women having authority over men. And a lot of people, you get all freaked out about that. That has nothing to do with a woman being inferior. It has to do with the way God made a man and how God made a woman equal but not the same and not with the same duties. Submission to authority is often consistent with equality and importance and dignity and honor. You know that, don't you? Just because somebody's been placed in authority over you doesn't mean you're inferior to them. You say, well, Rick, give, give, give me an example of that. It doesn't mean that. It never has meant. Jesus, was he submitted to the authority of his earthly parents. Can you imagine? His daddy was God, and he still submitted to the authority of his parents when he was a child because that was God's design. That was the order. If he was going to be sinless, then as a child, he submitted to the authority of his parents. You think Jesus was inferior to Mary and Joseph? Of course not. We also see what? Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. But Jesus was also uh, under the authority of God the Father uh, to, in order to operate effectively when he had his earthly ministry. He says, I'm here to do the will of my Father. 
We know that when we get, he gets to the Garden of Gethsemane, what does he say? Is there another way? Does that mean that Jesus wouldn't have gone to the cross if his father had offered another way to redeem the world? I guess. But what did he say? His father didn't give him another out, so he said, not my will be done, but your will be done. That's authority. Is Jesus the son inferior to any of the other two parts of the Trinity? No. But there's a hierarchy. There's a design. There's a headship. And, and we've heard this. So, I th- see, that's that human fall in fleshness that we always think. You know, we think if somebody's in authority over me, they think they're, they think they're of a, more value than me. Now, there's some people that when you put them in authority, they think that, but that's not the truth either. Authority has nothing to do with, with superiority and inferiority. It has nothing to do with it. Uh, so uh, so, so that, we gotta, we, that's the devil telling you that. So the home is like every human institution. It must have a head. The great Adrian Rogers said this, and it's so true. Anything that has two heads is a monster. The husband and the wife are equal under the authority of Christ. Remember, I told you this is the the man that helped uh, my wife and I come to know Christ and experience holy matrimony. Here's Rick. I'm I'm doing a design of a a triangle, if you're listening. I'm, I'm down here at one of the bottom right angles. Sherry's at the other bottom of the right angle, and then Jesus is at the right angle at the top of the triangle. And what we do is we start where we are, and we both go under the authority of Christ. We meet at the top. And then what Jesus said, you're both under my authority, and then here's how I designed the house. Uh, the husband is the head of the house. And what does that mean? All that really means is, can I tell you the number of times this has come into play in my house that I had to make some decision that Sherry wasn't in on? Hardly ever. But... If we get down to the place where we can't decide, and Sherry is as strong a woman as you'll ever meet, she says, we can't decide, I'll, be, uh, you know, I'll, I'll submit to whatever decision you make because God says that's who makes the final decision. You're head of the household. Uh, you're, you're, not in, you're, you're not superior to me, but that's your duty, and, uh, and my duty is different. Uh, there has to be a, a God is not a God of chaos. And when you don't know who the head of, of any institution is, you have chaos. And I've tried it even in the workplace different ways, and it just doesn't work. Okay, God's way works. And that's one of the reasons why you see some of the things some of you don't like in Scripture about women being in authority over men. It doesn't work. A lot of times men will give in because they're lazy. I've done it. You don't want to take on your responsibility. It's easier just to, to give your responsibility away to someone else and do the wrong thing and commit sin. I'll go that far. Sin against your wife by placing her in your position. That's sin. Now, sometimes women try to take that position, and that's sin too. After the fall, remember what, what, what uh, God said to Eve, you're going to always resent the headship of your husband now, and you're always going to try to be in control, and it's going to frustrate you all the way uh, till, till I come back and redeem this thing fully. But these are concepts of the Bible, and we have to do it the way God said to do it. And to do otherwise, there's some sin involved if the husband's not willing to do that and the wife's not willing to, to do that. That, that. That's a sinful attitude inside of God's most intimate relationship. God is the final authority, and he assigned authority in the home to the husband. Uh, and the moment we divorce the thought of subjection from that of affection, we have lost it's God-given significance. We need to say that again. See, some people say uh, that, that to, to, to be in subjection or to submit to the authority of someone or for someone saying, I am the head, if you take the affection out of that, you know, the beautiful thing is for a wife to say, I submit to the authority of my husband, 
because I want to please God. And I love my husband enough to do that. And for the man to say, I'm going to quit being lazy and causing chaos in this house, and I'm going to take the role of, of, of headship of the household, I'm going to be on the authority of God, so I make the right decisions with his discernment and his wisdom, and I'm doing that, wife, not because I think I'm better than you, I'm doing that because I love you. And the, and the wife say, I'll take my, my duty because I love you. If you take this subjection and you remove affection, now you got problems. Now, now, now the whole hierarchy is under the wrong authority, and it's being done the wrong way. Affection has to be part of subjection. There's a divine power, I mean, a divine pattern and spiritual motivation for the voluntary submission of the Christian wife to the authority of her husband. And if you want to see this profoundly explained, uh, turn with me over to Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 5. I told you we'd get there. Ephesians chapter 5, let's look at verses um, uh, uh, verses 22. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, this is now verse 24, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. But don't forget verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he may sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. So wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. You're doing this voluntarily because you love Jesus. It may not even be because you love your husband, and we'll get more into that. It's because you love Jesus. You, you'll see here later in chapter 5 of Ephesians, Paul says, uh, and we'll see this in, in Peter later too, however, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. She, he didn't even say love. You know why? Because women and men are equal, but they're not the same. A woman needs to be loved, and a man needs to be respected. And, and then some of you say, well, that, that, that respect has to be earned. Well, there, there's no doubt that uh, I, I think where you're missing that, respect really isn't earned, um, but, but, you know, as far as, you know, meaning it, 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 you're supposed to do it voluntarily. However, what I will give you this, authority is just a sign. Respect should be because you live a life of integrity. Sometimes women don't respect their husbands because they know them, and it makes it very, very difficult. Authority, though, is assigned. It isn't earned. Respect, that's different. That is something that, that, that should come naturally from your wife because of the way you live your life. And so wives are saying, I do this voluntarily because I love my Lord and Savior, and, and I'm going to treat my husband the way he said to treat my husband. And then you'll see later, husbands are to treat their wives the way God said to treat their wives. My wife and I many times have had, day, had days that said, today we're doing marriage the way that we told Jesus we would, not because you're lovable today. Or not because, Rick, you're, 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 boy, you're just oozing uh, in a way that makes me want to respect you today. No, we're treating each other the way that he said, and we've set up the house the way he said to set it up because our devotion to him, even if today we don't feel all that devoted to each other. It's obedience, and it's voluntary, and it's filled with affection, not superiority or inferiority. So this is done from a place of love for Christ. It is never done with complaining and groaning. Remember, uh, it's not burdensome to, to be obedient to the Lord. 
His yoke is easy. It's a yoke. He's still in control, but it, it's not to be a burdensome thing. It's freedom to do things the way that God said to do it. Now, notice that Peter uses the term, uh, your own husband. Uh, he's talking about the oneness in the Christian home. This is important because I think sometimes uh, people have taken this and, 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 and women don't like it, and rightfully so, and men abuse it, and, and, and you see this in some cultures around the world. This does not mean that a woman is to submit to the authority of every single man she comes into contact with. No, to her husband, to your own husband. There's a oneness there. This doesn't mean that every man in society uh, is, is, is placed in, in headship over every woman. It doesn't mean that. Uh, it says that Peter is speaking about uh, you, 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 you subject yourself to your own husband. There's a oneness here. Uh, submission is also tied to oneness. Your own husband, uh, which means the legitimacy of the marriage. You find this covered again in 1 Corinthians 17, 13. And then the other thing you see is 1 Corinthians 7, verse 2. It also means exclusivity. You know, you, you don't treat other men the way you treat your husband. And husbands, you don't treat other women the way you treat your wife. It's exclusive. There, there's nobody else that comes into this relationship. Your, your, your wife is your number one earthly priority, and there's no other earthly relationship that comes anywhere near it. That includes your parents. That includes your work. That includes your own children. And wives, your husband is your number one earthly priority, and that relationship between husband and wife, it is above every other earthly relationship. And it's exclusive. And nobody comes in there and messes with it. It's to be held in a place of honor by all. And so now, Paul uh, Peter begins to talk about, in this particular situation, now let's get specific about here, we have women... Who are, who, who are being told to submit to husbands who are not believers. You may be in that situation watching this and, and listening to this. Um, and the reason why is that, is that Peter says you may have a saving impact on your husband through your submission. The duty to submit to the husband, whether the husband is a believer or not, Peter is su su suggesting uh, this is likely not the result of being unequally yoked. Don't miss that. In this society, what, what probably happened here, and it may have happened in your life, is you got married as, as you weren't believers when you got married. And now inside the marriage, the, the husband has not decided to become a follower of Jesus, but you have. And he said, this is, this is happening a lot in this Roman society. There were a lot more women that, that, that bought into following Christ and Jesus as Messiah and, 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 and the, the, the new Christian faith than some of the men. And so what Peter says, yeah, yeah, but, but, but keep doing marriage now that you know it, the way God said to do it, and, and, you, and the way you live, you may bring that husband to faith as well through the way you live your life. And, uh, and, and you know, stay with him. Now we know that Paul writes uh, in the letters of Corinth, if a non-believer wants to leave you, then let him go. Uh, but but if, but if the, but if the non-believer is staying there, you stay and live this out in front of them because you might bring them to the faith. Now, th there's nothing in here that it goes back to what we said about submitting to parents, uh, submitting to, to anyone in the military. No one is supposed to stay in a situation where the person in authority is being immoral, is abusing you, is telling you to do something immoral. 
Children don't have to obey parents who tell them to do something immoral. Uh, military personnel or employees don't have to obey bosses that tell you to be immoral. And no wife has to stay under the authority of a husband who is, uh, who is abusing her. That's not what this is about. This is saying if the marriage is operating and, and your husband has not become a believer, you have, but otherwise everything's kind of running uh, the way it normally would have run, uh, why don't you just start living this out in front of him and see if your lifestyle can't bring your husband uh, to, uh, to redemption? Uh, so that's what most of these relationships were. But let me tell you this. Just, just let me tell you straight up. Do not marry people that are not of the faith. Now this, like I said, they were probably already married, and then one of them became uh, you know, uh, redeemed, and the husband is not. Look, save yourself. A tr I know you think you're going to fix people. I know you think it's going to work out. If you already know before you're married that you're a follower of Christ and that person is not, do not marry these people. It's a mistake. Now, if you want to keep trying to witness to them uh, and bring them to redemption through uh, your relationship and friendship, fine. But people who are not followers of Christ, are not. they are not candidates to be your husband or your wife. You will rule the day that you did that. But this is a different situation. If you're in that situation and both of you uh, were not believers when you were married and you've become a believer, now he's saying um, that inside these pagan marriages and the wife has now become a believer, uh, they, they probably both have been exposed to the gospel, the husband and the wife, because where did she hear it? The husband has rejected the word. It's a verb here in Greek, uh, meaning that, uh, that, that they were not persuaded by the word and the wife's behavior might be what God uses to bring her husband to himself. Uh, purity, in this case, is not just to be chaste, but he's talking, you know, meaning sexually pure. What Peter is saying is, I want you to be pure in all your conduct. So let's read it again before we move on. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word or weren't persuaded by the word like you were, they may be won without a word by the conduct. And again, this uh, and saying when, when, you, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. That pure conduct is not just to be sexually pure, to be chaste. He's saying just the way you are. You're kind. You're loving. You're, you, you know what? You're living in such a way that he's like, man, you've really changed. I'm really drawn to the way that you're living your life. And you live it out in front of them, uh, being respectful. And, uh, and, and it may uh, be used by God to draw them to, uh, to him. So now let's look at verse 3. Do we understand about subjection now? So ladies, now listen up. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or, or the clothing you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands, again, their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. What, what does this mean? Well, let's start with three and four first, the true adornment of a submissive wife, what, what, it, what it should not be. A Christian woman should not depend upon the traditional feminine outward adornment to make themselves attracted, attractive, such as, Adorning, such adorning is inadequate for the wife's uh, purpose. Ladies, listen now. Let me tell you what he is talking about. It doesn't mean you don't dress nice. It doesn't mean you don't have nice clothes. It doesn't mean that at all. We'll get into that. 
But let me tell you what it does mean. You need to be dressing in a respectful way to your husband and to God. You don't go out and say, my conduct is not what's going to, uh, uh, people are going to see. I want them to see my body. I want them to see my, my womanness. I want them to see my curves. Uh, I'm going to go out there and, and show a little, and that's how people are going to see me. And, and Paul said, no, 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 that's not, what a, that's not what a woman of God does. And frankly, what some women wear to church, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. It's disrespectful to your husband, uh, and it's disrespectful to God because that's not what women of God do. Uh, they dress trendy. It's fine. You know, I hear women say it's like dressing cute. That's fine. But you don't have to dress in a way that is inappropriate. Uh, I, I know of an organization for young women uh, that actually spawned uh, from the Bronner Burgess uh, memorial service of our son. There was a woman there that felt God called her uh, at that memorial service to something called Nations Outfitters. And what they do is uh, they provide trendy, uh, you know, uh, clothing for women that is modest and respectful. Uh, and then each one has a, like a Bible verse in the tag. So I understand that you want to dress you know, nice and women like clothing. There's nothing wrong with that. But if you're making that to be, you're going out trying to use your physical femininity to, to gain attention, that's sinful. And, and, and that's what uh, Peter is talking about. Uh, and, and why would he say this? Braids really denoted, he's not talking about this, that it's wrong to braid your hair. That's not what he's saying. But what this denotes is a, the elaborate process. Uh, it's, it's not braids themselves. It's, it's how long it takes to, in those days for women to braid their hair. Peter is saying, you're spending too much time on that. I wish you'd spend as much time on your conduct and your holiness as you spend trying to get your hair in a certain way. The gold jewelry denoted flashing of wealth. A lot of these women wore this so you'd know they were wealthy. I know they came from a, a wealthy family or their husbands were wealthy or they themselves were wealthy. Uh, fine clothes, this simply means to put them uh, on for show uh, and, and trying to bring attention to yourself. It also uh, uh, sends the wrong message of, of women uh, you know, being, being objects. You know, I mean, what you don't want to do, women, is to play to the sinful desires of ungodly men by just saying, oh, y'all treat us like objects. Let me play to that. And you see this, sadly, a lot of times, and it's, it's heartbreaking. And so he's saying this is not what a woman is supposed to do. And he says then in verse 4, instead, and that instead is emphasized, uh, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. The inner spiritual character, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, it's a lasting adornment, and it will reach a husband's heart, the inner self, a hidden person of the heart is what this Greek word means, the hidden person of your heart. This is pleasing to God, period. And how about this? Pleasing God is our ultimate goal. Spend as much time on your inner self as you do on your outward self. You know, spend as much time in the Bible as you do in the mirror, is what Peter is saying. If you want to please God, it's how who you are on the inside, not how impressive uh, or uh, eye-catching you can be on the outside. That's what's lasting, and that's what pleases God. It's imperishable. It's forever. Verse 5, for this is how the holy women 
who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Uh, now he's saying, let me give you some examples of these holy women. Probably he's talking about Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, uh, Leah. He says Sarah, so when he's talking about Sarah, but these others. Uh, he's saying Sarah was a submissive wife. Um, uh, she was not perfect, nor was Abraham perfect. We know that. They both made mistakes. But he's saying, look, they, these women were godly women. They were holy women. They were strong women. But they respected their husbands. Uh, you, you Follow their example. Now, I don't think uh, this was something that was, you know, kind of had a time stamp on it. Uh, I would not advise any of the men to try to get your wife to call you Lord. I don't think that's going to work. However, what this is denoting here is that Abraham was the head of his house, and Sarah respected his position. Uh, that term a little outdated uh, for, for us asking to be called that, but it does mean that we are uh, the husband is in a place of headship, and the wife should respect that out of love and devotion to God first, but also to her husband. Uh, verse 6. Verse 6 uh, is this, As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children. If you do good, do not fear anything. What does this mean? The personal significance. You are to do what is right. Show the fruit of your salvation. The Christian wife is meek. The meek will inherit the earth. Let me tell you what, you've got to understand what meek from a biblical standpoint means, though. To be meek, meek, you know what that means? Not that you're weak. You know what meekness is? It's not weakness. Meekness is strength under control. Strength in the proper place. I have control of myself. I'm strong, and I know when to be strong, but I also keep it under the proper authority of God, my husband, and I know when to use it and when not to use it in the appropriate way. It's to be in control. Uh, and, uh, and, and this is not weak or cowardice. The threats of an unbelieving husband do not scare a godly woman. I love that. That's what he's talking about about not being frightened. If you're doing what God's called you to do, you don't live in fear of your unbelieving husband if you're living uh, your redemption out in front of him. You're, you're at peace because you know the Lord is with you. You know the Lord is with you. Cool. So now he shifts to the husbands. Likewise, remember we talked about, about that adverb, likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, I'll unpack that, since they are heirs with you, don't miss that, there's a quality, of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. Now keep in mind where the likewise, because you might be thinking, why is he talking this way about unbelieving husbands? He's not. We're shifting now. He just talked to believing wives. Now Peter is not talking to those wives' husbands. He's talking to husbands who also were members of the church. So now he's saying this is how a godly husband should behave. Uh, you know, you should be considerate of your wife. You should create an environment in the house that, that your wife is treated kindly, never treated harshly, uh, and, and you should assign to your wife the honor that God assigned to her by saying she was the perfect partner and the perfect helper for you. And that role of helper is not a small, weak place at all. And he says, remember, they're co-heirs with Christ, and they should be treated uh, in a way of understanding. How about this? Hey, men, don't treat your wife like a man. 
She's not a man. We're going to get into that in more detail. You don't love your wife by treating her like a man. You don't love women or respect women by treating them like men. They're not men, and men are not women. Okay, no matter what society may tell you, that's, that's from the pits of hell. And he's saying, live with her in an understanding way. Know that women don't operate the way men do. Understand that sometimes she just wants to talk. Okay, understand that when they've had a problem that day that we're not supposed to come in and try to solve it because that's the way we were made. If they want us to solve it, we can, but they want us to listen, they want to be loved, and they want to be treated with understanding, and they want to be talked to like they are an equal heir with us under Christ, because they are. They're not to be patronized and just tolerated. They're to be understood and put in an in adorned in a place of honor. Do you honor your wife? Don't ever run her down in front of other men. Don't ever run her down in front of her children. Don't make fun of her. She's supposed to be placed in a place of honor. And then the next thing is this. Don't treat her harshly. Do not treat her harshly. Weaker means physically. Whether, whether you know, some of the movements today want to admit it or not, uh, the muscle tone, the muscle size, the strength, physical strength that has been given a man versus a woman uh, is God's design, and you should never take advantage of the place of that you've been given physically, and you should never take advantage of the place you've been given in headship over the household. We do not rule like evil tyrants. We do not create an environment in our house where our wives and our children have to walk on eggshells because they, they might upset daddy, or I might upset my husband, and your wife lives in fear of you popping the top. And the reason why it, it says that we don't treat them harshly, and it's big coming up, is because they're the weaker vessel. That doesn't mean value. Remember, you've heard me use this example before because, in my opinion, it's the best example the first time I heard it. I didn't come up with it, but it was a good one. And that is porcelain is actually more valuable than steel, but porcelain breaks easier. It's not a value thing. What he says about weaker vessel is they're not men. Don't be harsh with a woman because she breaks easier. Now, you may think, Rick, I hear what you're saying. This all makes sense. Oh, I'm going to go bigger than that, closing, guys. I'm going bigger. Listen to what Peter says about a man who won't follow these instructions. Just as he is not pleased with a woman who doesn't follow her duties, he's not pleased with a man who abuses or doesn't do his. Listen to what Peter says at the end showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, meaning it's an honor that she's a woman, not a man, and she should be placed in honor, and she should be protected because she breaks easier. She should be protected. She shouldn't be living in fear of you or me. She should feel protected in her place of honor. But listen to this. Since they are heirs with you, equality, of grace, all equal at the foot of the cross, there is redeemed as you and I are men, so that your prayers may not be hindered. So what does that mean? This relationship is so important to God, and it's so important that the relationship is, is in its proper place. The Greek word here for hinder is a military term that means to throw obstacles in front of something. 
hinder the enemy. Meaning, listen, this is big. Whatever you're doing, stop right now. Listen, men. Peter is saying, inspired by the Holy Spirit, writing what God told him to write, or saying what he told him to say. Silas is actually writing it. And Peter says, inspired by God, that any man who is harsh with his wife, any man that does not place his wife in a place of honor and does not live with her in an understanding way and treats her harshly, that man's prayers have obstacles between him and God. Wow. Your prayer life is altered by the treatment of your wife. My prayer life is altered by the treatment of my wife. I guess God thinks the treatment of our wives is a really big deal. I mean, think about it. You ever, you ever tried to listen? You know, a lot of what we do here is radio. Uh, there's different platforms now, but have you ever been trying to listen to a radio station and static came, comes in? You're losing the signal? That's what he's talking about. So wait a minute. If I don't treat my wife the way he said when I get on my face to pray, he can't hear me? as clear as he, he could if I do it right? Yes. Or he refuses to hear you. It's probably a better way to put it. So it's a really big deal. So as we get ready to close, don't ever be afraid, ashamed, or uncomfortable with the way God says to do anything, which would include this exclusive holy relationship that God loves. And that is a relationship between a husband and a wife. For those of you that are married, make the adjustments if they need to be made. For those of you that um, may be messed up with marriage and God may give you, uh, you've been redeemed and you get another chance at it, uh, be sure you do it his way this time. For those of you that are yet to marry, pay attention. Get this right. It's incredibly important. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for our time together. Thank you for these words. Thank you for the challenge. Thank you for the conviction. Uh, maybe, you know, in some cases, thank you for the affirmation and the confirmation. Uh, Lord, I pray that anybody in this audience right now that is in a marriage, that uh, they're hearing your words, and they're not my words. They're, they're your words, and they know that their marriage doesn't look like this. I pray those adjustments will be made. Maybe right now you need to say to the Lord, forgive me, uh, ladies, if you're watching this and listening, forgive me for not respecting my husband. If you're a husband and you have not followed your duty, forgive me for the way I've treated my wife. Uh, and maybe the two of you need to uh, pray together and, and get under the authority of the Lord and, and, and let him put both of you back into the proper place in the household, both equal under the authority of Christ, and then setting up the household the way he said to set it up. For you uh, ladies that are watching and listening to this, that maybe you have an unbelieving husband, and you're listening to what Peter says, may God give you the strength to live out your faith in front of your husband, and, and we'll all celebrate the day that he too is drawn to God and is redeemed. If we can help you in any way, always reach out to rick at rickandbubba.com. Lord Jesus, thank you for this time today. May you be glorified. In your holy name we pray. pray. Amen. Thank you for being with us.